everybody joining me now on the podcast is Phil Paramore, one of the legends down here in the Dothan area when it comes to uh, being on the radio and print journalism and did some TV work as well. And I'm just I'm honored to have uh, Phil Paramore on the show this week. And uh, Phil, thanks for taking the time and uh, being on here. Really appreciate it. Well, Philip, thank you so very much. I appreciate you asking me to be on. And, uh, you know, you're doing a great job yourself. And, and I'm very proud of you for pursuing this interest. And you obviously have a lot of passion for it. And I would encourage you to hang in there and keep plugging away, my friend. I appreciate that, Phil. I'll just say this before we get going. Uh, something that meant a lot to me was, uh, you know, back because, you know, we were, I guess, you know, at the same spot at one time at uh, over you know when espn dothan was going and something that meant a lot to me then was when you would allow me to come in on your show with you in the studio you and doug applin there and let me come in because i you know when i first did it i didn't feel like i belonged you know in the same studio as you two guys as long as y'all been doing as good as y'all were as a team but i did appreciate those times you let me come in call in and uh talk to you really made me and i felt like i belonged when i was in there with you guys really made me feel comfortable and i really appreciate you giving me that and it really was a boost of confidence for me uh going forward so just want to say i appreciate that you did that you're very kind and i appreciate that too uh doug is a great guy and he's been with business a long time one of the well he is the best producer i've ever worked with before in my life um he lined up guests he helped me prepare for the show and just uh and actually hit me up with you because i, I wasn't friends with you at that point and uh we became buddies and and uh, wound up sharing some fun thoughts on the air and uh you got to come in and see what we did and and i enjoyed that very much and and i hope you did too Oh yeah, oh yeah. I, it was. Uh, I think the first time I went in there with you, I actually I got really excited. So as I was walking, you know, I worked not too far from the studio, so I was walking up there to do it. I, I remember I put on my Facebook said I'm about to jump on with uh, Phil Paramore. I was very excited about it. So <laughs> it was a uh, it was a big well, deal for me. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. But you know, uh, you know, enough about me. You know, brought you on to talk about your career. I just, you know, I guess wanted to start off. You know, and we're going to get into some SEC football talk as well. But uh, just for you, just you know, looking back, uh, when when did your passion for sports start? Well, you know, I was in love with it from the time I was, uh, I don't know, six or seven years old. My dad instilled a passion for sports in me, and. My gosh, I can remember literally Super Bowl one when I was seven years old. And I, of course, have seen every Super Bowl since. And um, the Final Four and the, uh, the baseball, the uh, All-Star Game and the World Series and all those kind of things. My dad really is the one who um, made me realize what a wonderful passion sports is, and it wound up being an opportunity for me to make a living doing it, and I, I've just been grateful to all these wonderful athletes and coaches and broadcasters and all the people that I've been exposed to, to, to have an opportunity to understand what many of us don't understand. It, it, it's games, but it's also humans. 
you know, it, it, it's real people involved in the game. And they've got families and children and everything else. And, and, and the whole experience has made me understand, you know what? These folks aren't that much different from us. They mm-hmm. just do one thing really, really well. And they get paid handsomely for it. And we're fortunate enough to travel around the country and follow their exploits. And and uh, I'm just, I, I am the most grateful, blessed person that's ever been on this earth to have gotten to do what I've been able to do for 38 years. And it's something I enjoy and that I learn something different almost every experience that I have and and it's allowed me to meet people that I never dreamed I would meet and find out they're just like you and I they put their pants on the same way and (laughs) they have wives and kids and they do things that that are just like us and uh, it's just been a, a blessed experience as far as I'm concerned I think that's something people kind of forget when they watch sports. You know, a lot of fans, the human element, because, you know, those are men and women out there that, I mean, yeah, they're like you said, they're yeah. extraordinary athletes. They're all, they're superhuman-like what they can do on the field, the court, you know, whatever sport they play. But, you know, when they go home, you know, they go home, you know, to a spouse, kids, you know, they they have these same issues that you know we may have i guess sometimes people just forget that just because the 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 super uh, excuse me the superhumans that they you know they appear to be on television or when you see them up close in person well you're right and and it's especially true in the college venue because you see these kids 90% 90% of them will never get a chance to make a dollar playing professional football or basketball or baseball, whatever. They're just participating on the amateur level, but they're the elite and the amateur level. And, and I saw a, a really poignant interview with Bo Jackson the other day, and he was talking about the fact that his mom cleaned rooms in a hotel that was one of the three jobs that she had as she raised 10 children. And Bo said, do you guys ever speak to the person that's cleaning a room next to you or whatever she's doing? That's what my mom did. So I'm always kind to her. And it makes you think, you know, a lot of these kids came from nothing. Uh, Philip, I've seen so many of them come to college campuses and the team would ask them to wear a blazer and some khakis for a road trip. They didn't have a blazer. They had two pair of jeans and three shirts. And that's all they had to their name. So it's been a neat experience to watch these kids develop into some cases multi-millionaires, but other cases just someone who graduates goes on and has a really good working job and you know those experiences to me have been the most rewarding to realize gosh so many of these kids come from absolutely nothing yeah absolutely um 
you know, for you, you know, growing up and then, you know, when you realize this is what you wanted to do, you know, write, being radio, all that stuff, being journalism, were there any, like, any other journalists that you looked up to uh, growing up and uh, kind of pattern yourself after? Ah, that's a great question. Um, yes, I, I absolutely um I followed, of course, the, the daily paper in our region of the country, the, the Eagle, and and on Sundays we got the Montgomery Advertiser. But then when I got in college, uh, my freshman year, I started reading Paul Feinbaum's work, and I was enamored with it. I thought it was brilliant, and I tried to copy him as much as I could as far as his writing and broadcasting style were concerned. And as fate would have it, we wound up becoming great friends. And he always been so kind to me. And I, in turn, hope that he understands what an inspiration he was to me. And um, I think Paul had gumption. This was back in the Bear Bryant era, the very end of the Bear Bryant era, when he was bold enough to challenge him, and he, he challenged Auburn and their decisions and, and various other schools uh, in the country. And um, I just, uh, he, he was my model, I guess, as far as I knew I had to be more laid back in a small market like this than he was in Birmingham. But at the same time, he was the person that kind of inspired me to to write and speak the way that I did. So uh, when you first got out of college, uh, what, what was the next step in your career, you know, you know, getting in print and everything? Well, I had three or four job offers. Um but as most people in print journalism know, it is a notoriously low-paying profession. So I had to really, you know, weigh my choices. And the best opportunity I had was at the Eagle. Uh, I had an offer from the advertiser in Montgomery and a couple other papers. But um, I could live at home <laughs> off mom and dad for two or three years and I did that for a year or so and uh, then um, was very fortunate uh, to have been promoted to sports editor at the Dothan Eagle in 1984 Um, I was the youngest sports editor that I'm aware of of the daily newspaper in the history of the state of Alabama I was only 25 years old so I didn't really know what I was doing, but I was doing the best I could. <laughs> and uh, that's kind of the way that, that it happened. And uh, then moved on to various other junctures from there. Um, radio became an opportunity for me uh, about, I don't know, 12, 15 years after I, I got into the newspaper business. And I realized in electronic media, a, you can make more money. B, you're going to beat the print media on every story because you got it early. You got it before they do. And then, see, I just enjoyed the, the people that I was surrounded with and that the chances that I got to, to meet people and develop a little bit more of a personal relationship with them over a, you know, 15, 20 minute interview as opposed to a, five minute 
question and answer session. Yeah, you know, and that's something I really like about the podcast format. You know, a little bit of radio, which I love radio, too, uh, is, you know, like this, what we're doing here, I can talk to somebody for 20, 30 minutes. You don't have to worry about going to commercial break, throwing an advertiser name in there. You can really do a long-form right. interview. And I have actually found that a lot of people are a little bit more laid back in that setting. You know, they don't feel as maybe uptight. They know they're not restricted to a a certain amount of time so it is fun when you can get those longer interviews in, with people because you do like you say you do make a, a connection with that person and you know beyond and just you know that small increment that you may get in other areas sure i, I agree with you and and one of the trademark um characteristics that paul has that i tried to copy was when i had guests on the air if you'll be very, very strategic about it and not say anything for about 30 seconds, then the guest gets uncomfortable and thinks that you're not going to ask him another question. <laughs> so he'll just volunteer information to you. He'll just tell you stuff that he wasn't even thinking about talking about. So uh, it's, it's a neat profession. It, it's, a, it's a cool genre. And some people, you know, gosh, we all do it a different way. I mean, I do my show a certain way, and other people do theirs a certain way. Um, you got to consider the region you're in. You've got to consider the audience that's listening to you. And you got to understand that, you know, people sometimes can get a little upset about things that they don't necessarily agree with mm-hmm. and you kind of have to make them say look this isn't life and death this is a game we're talking mm-hmm. about this is a program or a sport or a whatever it is we're talking about it's not life and death it's just it's just kids playing a game and we love it <laughs> Now, I've asked you this question before, but I'll ask you, I'll ask you to you again because I know one of your signatures on the radio, especially, was sit down. And I just would like to ask once again, where did that originate? <laughs> That's funny you ask me that. Actually, uh, my ex-brother-in-law and I were at an Alabama-Tennessee game at Legion Field. And we came into the game, and the Tennessee people were being so obnoxious. And, oh, my gosh, where they were just, you know, we were stuck in that section. And when Alabama made a play and went ahead, and, you know, it was obviously had the momentum of the game, I just said, sit down, Tennessee. And it just carried over <laughs> and just sit down. <laughs> sit down and be quiet sometimes you have to give that to uh, the likes of Ohio State and Oklahoma and Oregon and people that think they are really one of us major college powers you have to tell them sit down <laughs> oh, I, I, I'll be honest with you uh, on Mondays I, you know, during football season I would look forward to this. okay who's Phil going to tell to sit down who's he going to tell you know <laughs> <laughs> uh, a lot of fun and uh, in jest mostly just just uh, 
doing exactly like you did. I, I was just attempting to get people to listen and, and laugh and giggle and, and either get mad or whatever and just kind of have a little fun with it. I mean, because, it again, it, it's not a matter of somebody living or dying. It's, it, it, it's football, you know, or basketball or whatever it is, and we're just having some fun with it. And you just kind of want folks to understand that that's the – that's the tone of the show. We're having fun. You know, and, and something else, you know, I noticed, you know, on your show, and uh, and I know that, you know, this is a relationship you've had, you know, for several years, you know, even when he was coaching them, your relationship with Coach Blakeney. And I know you did some, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, with just going off what I remember you saying before, uh, that, you you know, you did the TV show, you did some Troy stuff for television, and, you know, you had Coach yeah. Blakeney on your show plenty of times after he retired. Just uh, how important, and uh, just talk about that relationship with Coach Blakeney. Well, let me tell you, I, yes, first of all, I was the host of his television playback show, which was a, an iconic event back when I was growing up watching the Alabama and Auburn replay shows that came on at four and five, respectively, every Sunday afternoon. And Coach was so kind to ask me to host his show in the very early 90s. And, and I did it for 10 years. And um, we had a blast of... Uh, I think he is the only coach that I'm aware of that I've never heard one of his peers say a negative phrase. Not one. Everybody in the business liked him. He's a good guy. He is uh, nominated for the College Football Hall of Fame. And I hope desperately that people will vote for him and uh, that he gets elected because he's the only person that's ever taken a school from Division Two to Division One AA to Division One in the history of college football. And he compiled enough wins that he's the winningest coach in Troy history. And uh, just to have built the program and laid the groundwork for what is now a nationally recognized program, I don't think you can give him too much credit. I just, uh, you know, now I'm biased. I'm a Larry Blakeney fan, and I'm a personal friend, and in fact, we share the same birthday. I, I just think that he was exactly what Troy needed at the right time. And let me say one other thing that that he probably would not be happy with me about saying. <laughs> but he took the blame for a lot of what happened during the Eric Ramsey saga at Auburn. Uh, he laid on a grenade and was fortunate enough to get another job. But people may not know this, and I'll tell you this, Philip, this is an exclusive. When he was ordered to appear in front of the NCAA Infractions Committee. The Troy contingent there all flew with him there, and they had a standby coach already appointed in case the NCAA Infractions Committee said, you are banned, you cannot coach anymore. And 
of course, that did not happen, so he, he wound up staying at Troy. But uh, that's the kind of guy he is. He he, um, he was willing to take the blame for an entire program's indiscretion. Well, that's, that's, that is a guy that was, you know, loved to school. I, you know, that's an obvious thing. And, uh, wow, I did not know that. So, uh, yeah, it's a, an interesting story. And, uh, you know, he was the quarterback at Auburn the year before. He was the first sophomore quarterback to ever start for Shook Jordan. And that was before freshmen were eligible. He started as a sophomore, but then the next year, a guy named Pat Sullivan became a sophomore, and Larry got moved to defensive back. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> and that's really, you know, it's crazy now when you look at college football now, what you're seeing these kids come in as true freshmen, and they look like they've been out there. They look like juniors and seniors now. I mean, example is the Clemson quarterback Trevor Lawrence true freshman I mean he does not look it I mean it's just crazy how far college football quarterbacks have come along since even 10 years ago well you know to me their physical abilities are similar but their size I mean Trevor Lawrence is 6'5 and their mental capacity to handle the pressure and read the defenses and change plays and do all the things that they're asked to do mentally boggles my mind. And some kids can do it. And we'll see this fall. If if um, Auburn's freshman can handle it. We'll see if uh, the true freshman Knicks or the redshirt freshman Gabe Wood, we'll see if they can handle that or not. But Almost all of them, I've found, have the physical tools, but can they handle it mentally? Can they can they do it and deal with the pressure? And uh, Lawrence was one of those guys that was obviously an exception to the rule. He could certainly do it. Yeah, you know, kind of transition into you know this upcoming season in college football, and you talked about Auburn there. And uh, listen, I, I've been known to be a little bit critical of Gus Malzahn and Auburn gets me in trouble sometimes. Um, how big of a year is this to you? You think for him? I mean, the schedule's going to be I tough. Think I think it's make or break. I honestly do. Um, it is, should not be lost on Auburn people that the president who gave him the contract extension and the raise is no longer there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the schedule, the first seven games, they could be five and two. They could be six and one. Who knows? They could be seven and oh, but they could also be two and five. Mm-hmm. And if he's two and five, and if you look at those first seven games, you break it down. You'll see, oh, oh, that's a losable game. That's a losable game. So is that one. Uh, I think he could be in deep, deep trouble. I think the the quarterback situation, the development of the offensive line, which everybody thinks is going to be so great, and I'm going, why? Because they weren't very good last year. It's the same guys. Um, I'm... I'm concerned about the direction 
and this has always been my my, my phrase, uh, Philip, the direction of the program. I'm very concerned about the direction of the program. They've got to have a good year this year, or else you have a hard argument to say the direction of the program is upwards. I don't know if it is or not. And the thing about Gus that I don't understand is clearly the offense that he really wants to run is based on an option dual threat quarterback and he hasn't recruited much since Nick Marshall in 2013 how how can you go six years and not find a quarterback that can run the option and throw the football in the entire nation how can you not find one that can do that and that's what concerns me the most yeah, because I mean, I, I I've been labeled a Jarrett Stidham apologist, um, <laughs> and, and maybe that's because I'm also a pro football fan. So I, I see what he can be, and I, I just watched him. Even the year they got to SEC championship, it, you could tell he was he was not the right guy for that offense. At the next level, I think he has a far better chance to flourish than he did in college. Because the system he signed on to at Baylor was entirely different than what mm-hmm. he was brought into at Auburn. So um, I just, I mean, you think about how many high schools are running to spread offense that's also option based. Do you mean to tell me you can't scour the country mm-hmm. in six years and find one or two of those guys that can run this? I, I, I you know. I'm having a hard time dealing with that. I think a lot of Auburn fans are. They, I, I, I'm, I'm in a few Facebook groups, Auburn groups, and it's that that seems to always be the question: like, why can't we get a guy like Nick Marshall that can do that? And I think they hope Joey Gatewood can be the guy, but you know, Bo Nix is there too, and I, I kind of like what I see out of him as a quarterback. So that's that's going to be. I think that is the the season hinges on the quarterback and picking the right one. Well, you know, Philip, to me, there, there are two things about the quarterback. He cannot get you beat. You can't let him get you beat by making mistakes and, and not being able to run the offense and handle things. And secondly, he's got to be able to change the play at the last scrimmage if he needs to. He needs to be able to escape from trouble if the play breaks down, and he needs to be able to improvise. Pull it down and run it and do whatever you got to do to just keep from having a bad play. Um, and in my opinion, it's been a an iffy situation at quarterback, really, ever since Nick Marshall left. It's, it's just been a... You know, but but you've got to go back a long time. I was watching a game the other night, and I saw Daniel Cobb performing, and you know he was a limited drop back guy, and so have so many other of the Auburn quarterbacks been. And you just want to say, how can an elite program like this not find an elite quarterback? Just you just got to be able to do it. I mean, look mm-hmm. how many Georgia's been through. Um, 
Now, you can find other programs that don't have a quarterback either. Tennessee hasn't had one. Florida hasn't had one. Arkansas, LSU has never, ever had one. Um, the couple of years of success that Ole Miss had was because they had a quarterback. Mm-hmm. If you don't have a quarterback and you don't have cornerbacks, those are the two most important positions on the football field to me. Quarterback and cornerback. If you can play man-to-man on the corner, then you can blitz. You can do some things and funky things and get after the quarterback or whatever you want to do. But if you don't, and they can beat you man-to-man, you're going to get burned. Quarterback-wise, he's got to be able to keep the defense honest, and if he can't, you're in deep trouble there. Oh, most definitely. I mean, I'm born in such agreement with you there. I'm, I'm obsessed with that position, the quarterback position. Anyways, and, you know, talking about teams that do have quarterback, Alabama's got one. And uh, But I do kind of wonder, you know, after the way last year ended, because he did not play well against Georgia. He played well against Oklahoma, but then Clemson, he didn't play as well. I mean, he had moments where it looked like the moment got to him when – Things aren't going easy for Tua. He seems to sometimes struggle. So I just wanted, you know, what's your opinion on Alabama coming into this season and with Tua? And now maybe there are not a lot of questions around him, but it seems like there are a few. Well, I think the main question about him is health. Mm -hmm. Is he going to be okay? Um, Not many people knew he had a sprained knee in the LSU game. He, He got hurt then. He performed fairly well against Auburn. And then in the Georgia game, in the SEC championship game, not only was one ankle sprained, but two. So he couldn't plant. He couldn't scramble. There were a lot of things he couldn't do from a health standpoint. And I'm worried about the fact that he may be a little brittle. I mean, he's been hurt a lot since he's mm-hmm. been there and, and you know the physical nature of college football demands that you be able to shake it off and you know come on let's go we gotta go and I don't I'm a little worried about that uh, I think he's a, a tremendous talent uh, got great arm obviously he can deliver, deliver the ball um, where he needs to and he has a stable look uh, excellent receivers and uh you know, if he stays healthy, good Lord, he's got a chance to have a Heisman Trophy winning year and a first-round draft pick uh, year. If he doesn't, then, goodness, uh, we're looking at Mac Jones and, and maybe his little brother. I mean, because Jalen's gone. So mm-hmm. um, you, you've got to depend on that offensive line to protect him and him hopefully stay healthy. But, of yeah. course, you know, Phil. Every quarterback in the conference has got to stay healthy. If he doesn't, then that team is in deep trouble. <laughs> yeah, because I, I was thinking about that a couple of weeks ago. You know, last year with Alabama and Georgia, you thought, okay, if the quarterback goes down, at least especially Alabama, you got Jalen Hurts behind them, and Georgia, you thought you had a you know really talented quarterback there. Uh, with them, but now I don't really. I'm trying to think. I don't really think there is a team in the conference that has. Okay, if our starter goes down, we're fine with the backup. I don't think anybody has that situation. I really don't think so either. 
And if that is the case, then that means you got quarterback problems going into the season. Because if you're not sure who your guy is, then you got problems. You got to have a guy, and you just got to hope that you can keep him healthy and that he performs and and executes and 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 uh, operates the offense the way you've got to have him operate it to to win football games. But you know. Uh, Quarterback is such a fragile position, and it's uh, it's amazing. Uh, some kids come in, and and they're like Tom Brady when he gets to the pros. He says, "What's so complicated about this? It's just football." Um, some kids move from the high school level to the college level, and they're they're the same way. They can, they can handle it. They can make the adjustments, but there are very few and far between. And um, It'll be interesting to see who can keep their quarterback healthy and who can uh, who can, who can get someone to execute. You know, Mississippi State's got a Penn State transfer mm-hmm. this year, and uh, who knows? He he may be the next at Prescott. We just don't know yet. That's the fun thing about college football is you have so much turnover. You're guaranteed every four years you have a completely new team. And it's so much fun to just watch and see who develops, who winds up being a, a great player for you, and, and uh, unfortunately, who you wind up being disappointed in. Oh, absolutely. That's that's what makes it fun. I'm 100% in agreement with you. And uh, before I let you go, oh, there was there's a topic, you know, the, the hot topic, really, I think, in college football this all season. We always have that one topic is the transfer portal. And I think this thing has backfired on the NCAA, in my opinion. I think this thing was put in place for a certain reason for kids that, you know, that needed to transfer. Maybe a, a parent or family member was ill, graduate transfer situations, stuff like that. But in, in, I remember Nick Saban saying this a few years ago, that if we start letting these kids transfer, you know, you know, without having to sit out or anything like that, it could become the Wild West free agency in college football. It kind of looks like it's happened. Well, I have to agree with you. Um, I I don't like it. Um, I think there is a commitment made on both sides. Once you sign that grant in aid, you're telling that school, I'm coming to play football for you. And they're telling you, we in turn are going to give you room, board, tuition, books and fees, and make sure you're taken care of and make sure you have tutors if you need them, et cetera, et cetera. Um, now, do those players earn that? Of course they do. But it's a, it is a it is a commitment on the part of the university, and the player, in my opinion, owes them at a minimum two years. You owe them a minimum two years and maybe even three um, and then if, if you know if you want to transfer, I, I don't know if you've, you've been redshirted and you you got an extra year, maybe so. But but yeah, I think you're right. It's 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 borderlining uh, on free agency, and we do not need that in amateur sports. That's that's for sure. Because you don't think any illegal inducements might be involved in where someone might transfer, do you? Yeah, that, that's yeah. It's I, I've always been like a pro player guy. Like I, you know, like I'm always for the player. But you know, this 
I don't know. It, it, you're losing a little bit what is college football when when you're able to transfer so easily. And it's just I have issues when you deny a player the ability to transfer when he wants to transfer somewhere at a lesser school than where he already is at to be near a sick relative. You deny him that, but then you let Justin Fields, we mentioned a minute ago with Ohio State, freely transfer to Ohio State because he couldn't beat Jake Fromm out. That's that's the issue I have with it. Yeah, and I understand that. Um, Now, I get it if the coach gets fired or he Mm -hmm. leaves and goes somewhere else and you say, now, wait a minute, that's who I signed to play with or play for, and he's gone. Or you get put on NCAA probation and the kid had nothing to do with it and he can't go to a bowl game, he can't be on television or whatever the case may be. I kind of get that. But it's a two-way commitment here and the kid needs to understand and his family needs to understand you're getting the equivalent to a couple hundred thousand dollars in room, board, tuition fees and and um, everything that's involved in this scholarship. So, you know, you're going to earn it and we're going to beat your brains out on the practice field. But if you're a player, you're a player and then you can go on to the NFL and make millions. But that's the um, that's that's the problem, I guess, I, I have with it, too. Yeah, that's going to be interesting you know, moving forward if what if they do anything to kind of change it or or whatever. Because I know there's a lot of coaches that are speaking out against it, and you know they don't like it. So it'll be interesting next year or within the next year. Do they make some tweaks yeah, to this? It will be. I agree with you. I know we're running out of time here, but let let me, if I can, just say this about Troy. I I think that what has happened there in the last ten years has been nothing short of amazing. I mean, you you have a team that's in total obscurity playing Division One AA football, and then they move to 1A, and they start playing major schools, and they play them closely, and then they finally start beating some of them. And I just think that they are one of the most heartwarming stories and for Southeast Alabama to have them here, they should be our school. I understand this is Alabama and Auburn country, but you know what? If you're not going to Alabama or Auburn, why not go up and watch Troy? I mean, mm-hmm. it's fun. It's laid back, small. It's, it's easy to get around, easy to find a parking place, and, and the whole deal just... And Chip Lindsay is a, a tremendous guy. I think he will do a great job there, and uh, I just don't think they'll miss a beat. Uh, even though Neil Brown was was such a great coach and did such a good job uh, after Larry Blakeney retired, I, I think that Chip will do a great job there too, and then Troy will continue to grow. I, I really think they will. I think they'll become more noticeable on the national map because they got some some. Teams on their schedule coming up here over the next five or six years that are going to give them a chance. Oh, as if I mean, I try to make it up there for one game a year. It's always fun up in Troy, and uh, yeah, I, it's 
it's a great experience so if anybody near troy they should go check them out and uh phil i just like to say i I probably i've kept you a lot longer (laughs) than i said i was and uh but i do appreciate you taking the time coming on the show this week you know talking about your career in journalism and then talking about alabama auburn college football as a whole and the troy trojans and i just like to say i really appreciate it and i hope we can do this again sometime thank you so very much and i probably was the one who uh rambled on too long but i thank you very much for asking me to be on and i'll look forward to visiting again soon all right thank you phil it was a lot of fun and like i said look forward to talking to you again sometime down the road thank you Philip.